Welcome to Lighthouse Church's Sermon Podcast. We pray you are blessed and encouraged with today's message. Good morning, Lighthouse of Faith Church. If you would turn in your Bibles to Romanette, Romans chapter 8, it's one of my favorite scriptures, chapters in the Bible, Romans 8. I'm speaking this morning on hostile takeover. It's a one-off, it's not a series, something I felt like the Lord told me to speak on, so I'm going to talk about it this morning. All right, here we go. We're going to start with verse 5. Okay, here we go. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. Live according to flesh, have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh results or is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Isn't it amazing? One thing about the Spirit, it's so obvious, the blessings of the Spirit, but it's so much more difficult to live according to the Spirit than it is to the flesh, isn't it? It's just normal to live according to the, to the flesh. Verse 7, the mind governed by the flesh, here it is, is hostile to God. And can I say this? It's hostile to Christianity. And if it's hostile to God and Christianity, it's hostile towards you. It does not submit to God's law. Now, you understand this. This is important you catch this part. Why? Because it cannot, nor can it. It is incapable of submitting to God's law because of its carnality. Those who are in the realm of the flesh ultimately cannot please God. Amen? Let's bow our heads and we're going to pray and we're going to get this thing rolling. Father, we thank you for today. Because this is your day. This is the day that you've made, and we are called to rejoice in it. So we rejoice not only in the worship, not only during prayer, not only during fellowship, but also, God, this morning during the reading of your word, during the preaching of your word. As I pray so many times, I pray it again, open our hearts supernaturally to receive your word, that we may walk away encouraged, transformed, changed, challenged, maybe even our toes stepped on this morning, God, because we are living in a time when it's, uh, Father, we're living in a time that we just can't be lukewarm. We need to be hot for your presence, hot for your spirit, hot following after you. And so, Father, we welcome you, Holy Spirit, into this place. Bless this house. Bless this time. Bless this people that made time for you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to declare a couple things, and then we're going to get into this. There is a hostile takeover happening in this country right now. A hostile takeover. All you have to do is watch the news, read it in the papers. And can I even take it a step further? We may even experience it when we confess our faith in Jesus Christ and his word. Amen? Hostility towards God and ultimately Christianity has existed, what, forever, for years. Persecution has always been a part of the church, even from its inception. People look at you weird when you say you're a Christian, especially in these days. Yet largely, from the inception of this country, we've had great religious freedom more than any other country. Isn't that true? Our country was based on Christian morals and values, and we've enjoyed a couple hundred years of of peace when it comes to really persecution but that is changing quickly come on ready most parts when we think about uh persecution if i could say it that way 20 years ago we would never have imagined that christianity would be the religion that is persecuted but yet here it is right 
in front of us. Uh, but most of the time, when we talked about persecution in the past, you even have organizations about this. It always happened in other countries, not ours. So there was organizations created for the persecution of Christians in uh, other countries, right? So, for example, let me use China. State campaigns against religion have escalated since Xi Jinping has taken over as general secretary of the Chinese Communist Party in 2012. It's increased dramatically. For Christians, uh, for Christians in China, government decrees have mandated the widespread removal of all crosses from churches. What crosses represent? Jesus, his death, his resurrection, right? So they've removed all crosses from churches, and in some cases, they've also, depending on, on, on how much they believe, they've destroyed those churches. They, they've taken them down. Uh, you're going to find this uh, probably a little unsettling, hopefully unsettling. In September of 2019, the UN Human Rights Council, this is a legitimate council, this isn't just some survey that was done on Twitter, come on, was told by the China Tribunal that the government of China is harvesting and selling organ, organs from per persecuted religious and ethnic minorities on an industrial scale. Ready? That's what they found. The tribunal concluded that religious and ethnic minorities are being killed to order. Cut open while still alive for their kidneys, livers, hearts, lungs, corneas, and skin to be removed and turned into commodities for sale. That's persecution, right? Now, listen, we aren't to that level, but we are being persecuted, right? When we hear this, and we, it makes us shudder, disgusted, appalled, all those things, it should. But really, it isn't that personal. Why? Because it's not here on this soil. It's somewhere way over there. So when we read about it or hear about it, you know, it might touch some people more than others, but for the most part, we really don't think about persecution that much until the last few years. But I want to make a statement this morning. This persecution that we're seeing now, and I'm going to break it down very, very simply for you this morning, this hostility towards God and, and Christians in particular, hasn't just started yesterday. This has been going on a long time behind the scenes. It's been developed behind the scenes in the darkness it's been going on years and years, decades ago. The movements that we're seeing now that are taking over, they didn't just start last week or last month or at the beginning of this event or that event. They've been going on for years. We're just now seeing them in full force. But the power of this persecution is very, 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 very strong. The Bible says, I've preached on this before in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, that the spirit of lawlessness is already at work, right? It's already been released against the church and against people. So that spirit of lawlessness is preparing the way for who? The lawless one, which is the Antichrist. And so that spirit is already at work against individuals, people. Ask any Christian team, seriously, ask any Christian team how hard it is to stand for Jesus right now. How strong the temptation is to compromise. How lonely it can be if you do stand. How difficult it is seen as being different and overwhelming pressure to cave to what every other teenager is doing. The expectation, listen, it's no longer just pressure, but the now expectation in the schools is for you to conform with what's going on. And if you don't, you're weird. You're an outcast. Come on, to compromise, to fit in. Ask any Christian actor how easy it is to be cast in Hollywood once you come out as a believer. 
There used to be this thing called coming out of the closet, right, in another sense. But now it's like if you come out as a Christian, you're condemned. You're condemned, right? This is the thing that's blown me away. If you watch any of the political advertisements that are on TV now, they are now, this, this is amazing to me, these ads are now targeting stances on morality as negative character traits. It's no longer like, oh, they steal and they lie and they do all these things. But instead, they say, well, they have this stand on this issue and they have this stand on this issue and they're a Christian and they're a believer. I'm like, could you ever imagine coming to a time where advertisements are now focused on Christianity, on morality, as a negative thing? It's amazing to me. I want to show you a picture that an atheist group last year launched a billboard campaign around the country said, just skip church, it's all fake news. Happy holidays from the American Atheists, atheist.org. That's a real billboard out in California. And notice the manger scene. Uh, uh, You know, people would say, well, that doesn't really matter. No. Why isn't Muhammad on that picture? It's the Christian church. And why do they care whether we go to church or not? See, that's persecution. When they start taking the the line, it's one thing if they don't want to believe, let them not believe. That's their choice. But when they start saying and and coming into our territory and saying, why go to church? To me, that's, that's infringing on our freedom, right? Come on. That's persecution, whether you want to admit it or not. And that's just the beginning to be, I, I can't imagine 20 years ago that even being acceptable. Now, <laughs> that's okay, but to have a cross on a monument has to be taken down. Or the Ten Commandments is offensive. We've come so far in not a good way. I'm sure you've heard this claim. If you know anything about Christianity, you've heard people say stuff like this. Well, most wars are started by religion. Have you ever heard that said before? Come on. That's, that's a common theme. Uh, and a guy actually went back. Of, uh, you can look him up if you want. Philip Axelrod's Encyclopedia on Wars. He actually did a study on it, and he found out only 7% of all wars are started because of religion. 7%. But yet you hear the propaganda that religion's behind, you know, you hear the crusades and all those different things. 7%. In comparison, this, this, these statistics blow me away. In comparison, in just the past 100 years, 360 million have been killed. Million people. 360 million people in the last 100 years have been killed by governments led by atheist leaders like Stalin, Zedong, and Pol Pot. 360 million. Hitler even stated in his private diary, ready? He goes, the heaviest blow that ever struck humanity was the coming of Christianity. He saw the threat. Now catch this. 360 million in the last 100 years. Yet our culture is embracing the very doctrines of these evil leaders. And they're shunning or even persecuting those who have Christian values or values that this country was supported and built upon. You see, persecution is a devious thing. It's a plan put in motion, largely unseen at first, as I started off by saying. It's done in the dark, the back rooms birthing its secret agendas. You don't all of a sudden come to the place where I can no longer uh, preach what I want to preach or no longer meet as a church which is coming. Come on, people. It's already happened to us a couple years ago. It's a process developed over time, and for a long time, the church just slept through it. But first things first, for wickedness to spread, 
You have to undermine its greatest enemy. You have to have a void for it to fill. Come on. Because wickedness can't spread where there's righteousness, right? So there had to be a void created somewhere for it to spread. And what was that void? A lack of morality. You have to undermine morality at its fundamental level. You have to disrupt the ability to teach morality. You have to attack the core of where the moral compass is developed. And all of us know what that is. That is the family. So where did the enemy start in this country? He started with the families. He started destroying them and breaking them up and causing issues. Before, come on, you can take a Christian nation down. You must attack what comprises the nation of its strength. The family. <laughs> come on. It ain't easy to be married today. It ain't easy to have kids today. It ain't easy to, to raise your kids in a godly environment. You have so many things going against you. So much compulsion to go other ways. The family was attacked first. What did they do? Delete or dilute the meaning of marriage. Restrict discipline and redistribute the authority in the home. The kids have more power now in the home than the parents do. Don't kid yourself, they do. Change the understanding and purpose of sex. Contaminate the meaning of true love. Create a culture that doesn't know how to respect and honor. When I hear these stories of kids telling their teachers, F you, I'm blown away. If that would have happened in my day, I would have been scalped. I'd have been picked out of my chair by my hair, and I wouldn't have done it again. And guess what? I think I turned out all right. But the problem is, is there were some parents that were abusive, and so what do they do? This country is known for this. This whole agenda is known for this one little thing, and it swings the pendulum all the way over. And most of all, what I see happening is they're, fuel, they're fueling the fire of division, leading to hatred. Secular researchers have actually produced a list of the seven main reasons why people divorce. I want you to catch this. Seven main reasons. I'm going to only give you five of them, and you tell me what you think. Five out of the seven. Living together before commitment to marriage. Now, I'm not, I'm not condemning anybody. I'm just saying this is what's led to a lot of divorces. Ready? Premarital pregnancy. Obviously, that's very difficult, right? That's very difficult, right? No, listen, this is a secular organization. No religious affiliation. Are you listening to me this morning? A secular organization said one of the main reasons why divorce is skyrocketing is because the people aren't going to church, even though they don't believe in church. But they believe the impact, the impact of church has on people. Come on. Another one, which is... I hate to say it, coming from a divorced family. And the last one, which I thought was very, very interesting, is feelings of insecurity. Every one of those is addressed in the Bible. Every one of those is addressed to encourage us to stand. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I don't know how people stay married today without God at the center. I don't know how. I don't know how it happens. Come on. Come on, somebody. You wake up in the morning, look at your spouse. Oh, I just love him to death. The best thing that's ever happened. I know my wife does that to me all the time. This is not condemnation. I want you to understand there's a, there's a culture that began to impact the very family, the structure, the structure of the family that what happened? It's now impacting us four generations down the road and we're wondering why we are where we are. The family's dis disintegrating right before our eyes. The place morality is taught is being disintegrated right before our eyes and we're wondering why we have kids being raised that are no longer believers in God.
And then you Christian families, you try to teach your kids godly things, and they're laughed at in the schools because the pressure is so strong. Ready? What happens then after high school? Then you fill the colleges with ungodly ideas and woke agendas. And you have generations growing up denying the existence of God, or at the very least questioning their personal beliefs. Now, again, we might be just hearing about this, but this move has been going on for decades. For decades. It says in Isaiah 5.20, he prophesied, he says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. I'm not going to speak to it this morning, but if you think about how many terms in the English language have been changed in the last five years, it would blow you away when you think about it. How many terms? I don't want to go through them, but just think about some of the terms that have changed and what they mean. Now, I want to make a statement. This is important. You get this. You see, you can't legislate morality. You can't do that. But what can you do? You can legalize lawlessness. You can pass lawless decrees that persecute Christians and further break down the Christian foundation of this country. Now listen, please catch me. I'm not talking about the Taliban or Iran. We're talking about fellow Americans hating fellow Americans. The saddest thing I saw was during the pandemic and the hatred that came out, families being separated. I know of story after story of families that would have get-togethers and if you weren't vaccinated, you weren't invited. And I don't want to make this political because that's a whole different thing. This isn't political. This is the spiritual aspect of what's happening in our country. But the thing that cracks me up is they just find out that if you were vaccinated, you still could pass it. That's a whole other story. How many families broke up? How many relationships were destroyed? And I'm going to be honest with you. I, 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 don't care what, I don't care what they say. It had nothing to do that they cared for you. It was control, manipulation. Creating separation. Man, they can't conquer us unless we're divided. They can't conquer us unless they fill us with hate. They can't defeat us. But that's what they did. Should it surprise us? No. Matthew, you know, Matthew 24, Jesus said, At that time, many will turn away from the faith. Do you notice that there's always a progression to hatred? The first thing that has to happen is what? You turn away from the faith. And when you turn away from the faith, you betray people. And when you betray people, ultimately what happens? The end result is you hate them. Am I just preaching to anybody? I'm telling you, I've got to watch my heart because sometimes when I watch things on TV, I have a feeling that I don't like them very much. Lord, protect my heart. Because out of it is the wellspring of life. And if that's contaminated, the rest of me is contaminated. It is a crazy time when you are targeted for your faith, and this is it. Uh, I'm going to amen your sister. We can't say it out loud, but targeted for your faith and feel compelled to give a reason why you're, by, why you're a believer, not because you're spreading the gospel, but to lessen the blow or retaliation due to your confession. Do you understand what I'm saying? What I'm saying? I'm saying to you, it's a sad and crazy day when we have to give an explanation. I'm a Christian, but, and you have to say that because you're afraid of the retaliation that's going to come on you. Because you're known as a Christian now. Bigoted, narrow-minded. I want to tell you something. I believe this happening right now. I believe... 
can I say this? This is my personal belief, but I believe there's a separation of the sheep and goats going on right now in the church. Those who will stand for God and those who will bow to this evil agenda. Now, I'm not saying we take pitchforks and, and you know, torches and start match, marching up on the Capitol. Come on, somebody. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying instead, what if we did what God said to do? Now, I'm, pre- I'm preparing you for this, this message, and all of you are like, okay, where is it going? You're not going to like the ending. Now, I want to say, listen, the only... <laughs> The only way their agenda works, the evil agenda, the demonic agenda that is coming against our country, trying to destroy our country, the only way this works is for it to kill our freedom, kill our hope, and kill our faith in God. I I hear people say, well, how come the news is always negative? How come they never do positive stories? They're trying to kill your hope. They want to make you hopeless. Because if they can make you hopeless, then you have no faith to believe for great things. Can I say as Christians, if you don't have hope, who's going to? If you don't have faith that God can do something great, who's going to have faith? And so if the devil can get to you and make you believe that we're all damned and this thing's going to hell, then it is. But God wants us to be the city on a hill. I think that's what it says. Maybe I'm mistaken. Light in the darkness... Light in what? Darkness. I'm going to say it again. Light in what? Which means there's going to be darkness, so you have to be the light. Rise, shine, for the light is coming. The glory of the Lord has risen upon thee. Though thick darkness covers the United States of America, still the glory of the Lord is going to shine. One of the darkest times in history, Jesus came on the scene, and he stirred the whole place up. My whole message is the last two years is is trying to get you guys to believe what the word says, that you alone can make a difference. Two of you can make a difference. Three of you can make a difference. And if this whole body could believe it, we could transform this region, not by judgment, not by hate, but by sharing the love of God and having the character of Jesus Christ and being caring for one another, loving one another. And I'm not talking this fake stuff. I'm talking about real, real life. Jesus came to give us life and life abundant. How many Christians are living an abundant life? If you're not, then we're, we're failing what Jesus died to give us. It's almost like, you know, we don't need the New Testament. I know that sounds good. Some people are like, oh my God, he said we don't. All we need is that scripture, John 10.10. 10. Devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came to give us life and life abundant. Go ahead. Do we need any more than that? Where there's stealing, killing, destroying, it's the devil. Where there's life and life abundant, it's God. Darkness, light. They want to stow. <laughs> I've been preaching on this. Our battle is not against what? Flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in high places, right? They want to stoke your anger. They want to make you lash out. And ultimately, they want to make you lose hope. It's their plan. It's their plan. They want you, listen, it's why they constantly inundate you with people that are being murdered and people that are being stolen and this and that. And I'm not saying it's not real. It is happening. But they never, ever show you something encouraging because they don't want you to be encouraged. They don't want you to be encouraged. They don't want you to know how to encourage yourself. But God saw this coming. And so he gave us a response. He gave us a blueprint. Now, I want to clearly state this. This is an individual and corporate response. The political aspect, I already said that. That's a whole different realm. Do you understand in in the church, in God's kingdom, it's a kingdom. He's in charge. We're his servants. In the United States of America, it's, you know, come on, I'm saying we vote. It's a democracy. We vote, right? So we have a say. But in the kingdom, you don't get a vote. 
There's a difference. So I'm talking about the kingdom this morning. The, the, the political debate is a whole other realm and topic and conversation that I'm not going to have this morning. I'm talking about spiritually speaking. Also, we need to understand this is important. As I go into these four points, you can't do this in your own strength. You're going to see it very, very quickly. You can't do this in your own strength. You need the Holy Spirit. So the Bible clearly expresses the proper Christian response to hostility. Ready? I'm going to give you a hint. It's not throat punching people. It's not flipping them the bird. It's not, come on, it's not road rage and tailgating them. It's not even like swearing at them under your breath in your car. That's not it either. What does God say? Number one. Do not respond in the flesh. Matthew 5.39 says, If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Oh, I want to hit you right off the bat with the hardest one. How many people feel like turning the other cheek when they, someone gives you a dig? You know, and it, can I say, this isn't a gentle dig. This is like a slap. A slap is like whack. This is like Will Smith hitting Chris Rock. Come on, somebody. Chris Rock actually did the right thing. When someone slaps you, it hurts. It doesn't disable you, but it causes pain. We're supposed to turn the cheek. We're not supposed to retaliate. Oh, but we're taught as Americans. Come on. Healthcare is so high. Why? Because of people suing. Insurance, all so high because everybody's suing. Everybody's suing. Everybody's suing. I, I'll never forget, I'll never forget when one of the, the first crazy you know, lawsuits that I saw was what? When somebody spilled McDonald's coffee on their lap and it burnt them because it was too hot. Why? Because the cup didn't say hot. And they won like $15 million or something crazy like that. I thought common sense tells you that coffee's hot and spilling it on your lap's probably not a good thing. But that's where we've gotten to. We're such an offensive culture. We're such an offensive culture. You step on my toes, I'm going to stomp on your feet. Listen, now what Jesus is trying to illustrate here is to, to not retaliate in the same evil manner that those who have hostility towards you do. Even though every, listen, it's a natural response emotionally and physically to want to get back at somebody, but that's where the spiritual, supernatural spirit of God inside of you stops. A little bit of honesty here this morning. Ready? We not, might not be the ones that do the road rage and get out and punch someone in the face, but we're equally as vicious with our mouths. When someone steps on our toes, I can't believe they did that. Do they know who they're talking to? I'll lay them out. Next time you see them, hey, how you doing, sister? Love you. Praise the Lord. We're all guilty of it. We are all guilty of it. Number two, when we are cursed... We are to return a blessing in return. See, this ain't going anywhere, any way you expect it. I gave you all that information at the beginning about hostility, and I was getting you fired up and lathered up to go fight. This is how we fight. It's like that song we sing. This is how I fight my battles with praise, with worship. Luke 6, 28. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. Praying for them is not this. Father, help them break their leg. When was the last time, and this is the thing about it, Jesus never minced words. He goes, bless those who curse you. Cursing was a big deal back in that day. Cursing you wasn't just like swearing at you. Cursing was like placing a curse on you. And he said, you're supposed to bless them. 
When was the last time you blessed your enemy? When was the last time uh, your neighbor that drives you nuts, you prayed for them? When was the last time, seriously, think about this. When was the last time, when was the last time when the person that rubs you like sandpaper, you got, you honestly with an, an integrous heart said, Lord, bless them. I'm going somewhere with this. You're going to see where it ends up at the end if you stay tracking with me. Bless them. And it is not in our nature to do that. You, can I tell you when I worked at my, at ShopVac at my job for 20 some years, you know how many emails I wrote and never sent? Oh, it felt good writing them though. Oh, I mean, that, it was nasty. I was going to cut them up. I was going to say, you're an idiot, blah, 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 blah. Bless you in the name of Jesus. Delete. <laughs> and if you ever know, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Text, she said. <sighs> Anger. <laughs> Delete. We, it's normal to get worked up. God made us. We are emotional creatures. It's normal. The fact is, is being able to have what is the fruit of the Spirit? Self-control. Which, it's a rare commodity today. I told you this story years ago. I'll never forget it. When I was working at Shafak, I had to go three days a week to Binghamton. It's an hour and 40 minute drive each way. And I'd drive up there. I remember one day I was getting out, and this lady was... How it works where it was, the industrial park, is you'd come out of the industrial park and then you'd have to get on Route 17. I think it's, what is it, 86 now or whatever it is. But if you've ever been to Binghamton, there's these crazy corners up there and they've redone them finally. But you'd have to get on and wrap around and come all the way around to get on the highway. Well, what would happen is these impatient people, which I'm never one, I was in the right lane, which went like this. The middle lane went straight. You know how it normally is. Well, people impatiently would try to pass you in a matter of like from here to the red light, just fly by you to get in front of you to get on the ramp two seconds before you. That's, that's America today. Well, I was going along, and I just cruising along, and this lady tried to cut me off and almost ran into me, and I'm like, what are you doing? She rolls her window down, and I'm not kidding you, she had gray hair. She had to be like in her 60s or 70s, flipping me the bird with both hands, saying every word and yelling at me. And I'm on the phone with Mark. You probably remember this. I was on the phone with Mark going, you're not believing what's happening to me right now. I'm getting cursed out by a 70-year-old woman. This is the greatest thing I've ever seen. But I was like, honestly, if I could be honest with you, I was in awe, in awe because, first of all, I didn't know why it was happening. Then I realized what was trying to happen. And I, I remember I was talking to Mark. I said, Mark, this is the most bizarre thing that's ever happened to me in my life. I don't know what's... And I get on the road. She flies down the road. And I remember just literally just sitting there going, what have we become? What have, what have we become when we're willing to kill someone with our words without even knowing who they are? Because of either a, an intentional or an unintentional action. And, and of course, that's, that was 10 years ago or seven years ago. Now it's actually killing people, people getting out with their guns and shooting people. It's, what, what have we become? How dark are we? How corrupt? How much, ready, can I say this? Hostility is in the hearts of man for that to take place. And yet what Jesus says, when you are cursed, and I must confess, I didn't do a backstop, but when she did all that to me, I just waved at her in the love of the Lord. Number three, 
When we're forced to do something we don't really want to do, we still go the extra mile. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Can I to ask you something, that, and you don't have to answer me, but is this going against every grain of your nature? Is it not? Come on. We are trained to fight. We're trained, in this culture now, we are trained to rebel. If a teacher tells you to do something automatically, why? I mean, as a child, you know, as a child, they, when they learn that word, why, they don't stop. Well, it's time to go to bed. Why? Well, because it's late. Why? Well, because the sun went down. Why? Why, 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 why? And finally, as a parent, you just say, because I said, get in bed. When you're 18, you can ask me why. But right now... This whole thing is, 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 again, didn't I tell you, is not, not something we can do in our carnal flesh because we're incapable of doing it because our flesh is evil. But it's the Spirit of God in us. So when someone asks you to do something, they're saying, basically, if someone's asking you to do something, you go the extra mile, even if you don't want to do it. Now, I'll, I'll, please, please, hang with me because it's going to bring itself together at the end. It's important that we get this. It speaks to denying your flesh. And being Christ-like in every situation, even though your flesh wants to do otherwise. Amen? And the last one, and then I'm going to conclude this message. If we suffer for doing good, we are to rebel. We're to complain. We're to yell and scream and throw pity parties. No. What, what do we do? We endure. What does the Bible say? Those that will endure to the end shall be saved. Endurance. I'm telling you, can I, can I tell you, I'm going to give you some of the greatest revelation you ever got, right? Ready to re, re, get ready to write this down. Greatest revelation you'll ever get. How do you get endurance? Enduring. How do you grow stronger in endurance? Endure. How do you, how do you gain the ability to endure? You endure. You endure. You might be, you can do it for a day, might be for an hour, might be for five minutes, but you keep doing it. You endure. You try your best to be consistent if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. There's a reward, I believe. So I want to do this in, clo in closing. In the end, can I say everything that we do as Christians is for what reason? To bring people to the Lord, right? Ultimately, that's what this whole Christianity thing, worshiping God is amazing, praying for people, all that's amazing. But the, at the end, when Jesus left, he told his disciples what? To go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations. That's ultimately what we're called to do, is to influence those around us, right? To be fishers of men. I want to give you this last scripture because it's powerful. Romans 12, 20 says this. Please catch this. This is important. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, and I love it. What does he say if your enemy? He doesn't say if someone you don't like. He doesn't say, you know, you're annoying this person. He says if your enemy, enemy. This is like top of the list. Feed him. I don't know about you, but when I was preparing this sermon, this graded me in so many ways. Listen. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. What is it saying? Meet his needs. Ready? In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. How many people have ever read that scripture and wondered what that means? Some people have actually taken it literally and says, oh, you mean if I do good that God's going to put burning stuff on people's heads? Yes. Oh, come on. When I first was a Christian and read that, I'm like, this is the greatest verse I've ever heard. I'm going to be nice to all my enemies. They're going to burn. They're going to suffer. Oh, come on, you Christians. 
No one ever thought that when I was when I was younger. I read that and I was like, "Yes, vengeance is mine." Thus saith the Lord. No, that's not what it says. Again, reading at this face, reading this at face value seems to say that being being kind to your enemy, they will turn have burning hot coals dumped on their head. Hate to break it to you, it's not the context. I want to tell you actually what this means because it's powerful. Here it is. Closing statements. To keep burning coals on your neighbor's head refers to a time when keeping one's household fire stoked was life-saving necessity. Even some of you know what I'm talking about. If you have wood stoves and that's your only heat, keeping that going in the midst of the winter is life is a life-saving necessity. If someone's fire... Now, as I say this, think of the spiritual aspect, not just the physical Catch this. Burning coals, fire, was a life-saving necessity. If someone's fire went out, they would go around town carrying a container on their head, because if you know that culture, that's even some cultures over there today carry things on their head, asking for hot coals from their neighbors so that they could rekindle their fire. Putting coals in your neighbor's container that was placed on their head would basically bless them and essentially keep them alive. Think about that spiritually. I believe Paul is saying when you bless your enemies, when you love them, when you pray for them, when you go against every fiber of your being to react and to retaliate, what's happening is you're giving them life-giving relief from the coldness of this dark world. You're giving them a chance to find the meaning of life. You're blessing them with more than just tangible things. You're, and I say it this way, you're sparking in them something that doesn't make sense because usually there's a means to the end. If someone's nasty, you receive nastiness. But when someone's nasty and you still bless them and love them, it doesn't make sense. It sparks something in them to figure out what is going on in this person. I've told this story here before, but years and years ago, one of my best friends at Shafak when I worked was a man, uh, electrical engineer. He was an Italian, fiery, short, little, fiery guy. I loved him. The moment I met him, I'm like, the, the Italians are awesome. We have some Italians in our family, and they just talk faster than I do, and they're just awesome people. I liked him immediately. But he was, he could be a little raunchy and tell the joke, you know, if you know working in, a business op, you know, you know the, the dirty jokes that go on and the conversations that are said. But I never, I try not to partake of it. You know, I just walk around and, and, you know, I was, this is 96, 7, 1997. And I just try to, you know, represent myself as a godly young man. I, I was engaged, wasn't married yet. And uh, I remember I was passing out some paperwork because I was working in the office. And I had to pass out paperwork to all the different sections, departments. And I was coming up to his, his department. I saw him standing there with two guys talking. And the Lord spoke to me and said, tell him that I love him, that God loves him. And I'm like, no way. He's Italian. He wrestled. He'll beat me. 
physically beat me. I was like, there's no way. How many people have ever had a nudge by God to do something? You're like, nah, you know what I'm talking about. So I'm like, no, you know, I'm a man of God. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm serving you, Lord. Tell him I love him. No, no. And I, I, I'm walking and I hand him a paper and I walk by him and I'll never forget for just a second that feeling of, oh. I walk around the corner, he's following me. And I'm like, okay, what's going on? And I said, hey, can I help you? And I wasn't friends with him, but he became my best friend at work. He looks at me and he goes, why are you always smiling? Okay, you got to make it easy. <laughs> and so I just, I literally, I said, well, be honest with you, the reason I smile is because my joy doesn't come from all this and money in the world. It comes from my God. I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And as I'm saying it, I'm going, oh, here we go. No, come on. Let's be honest this morning. We're being vulnerable. And he responds and goes just like this. He pulls me into his office and he goes just like this. He goes, that's so funny you say that because I just started going to church two weeks ago. I'm, I'm looking for meaning in my life. I'll never forget it because I thought I almost missed the opportunity, but if it wasn't for God spurring him to follow after me, I would have missed the opportunity. I ended up leading him to the Lord less than a month later. In this church, he ended up coming getting a prophecy from Denny Kramer standing right here. He was one of the founding members of Liberty Church over Liberty. And I go back just just that being that nuanced feeling of feeling I was supposed to share. That's what we're called to do. We're called to bless. Supposedly somebody that I thought was somebody that didn't care for me. We're called to bless. We're called to reach out. We're called to share the love of Jesus Christ. I want to end by saying this. Can I tell you, church, if you're a Bible-believing Christian, you will be the most hated and loved people in the world. You'll be hated by those pushing this agenda, but you'll be loved by those lost in the midst of the agenda. Light has never been needed more. Truth has never been needed more. Love has never been needed more. And I end with this. Tag, you're it. Never, you've never been needed more than you are now to bring some kind of semblance of peace in this chaos, to bring peace in the midst of the storms. You have never been needed more. I'm telling you, open your eyes. Most of you could stand up in here and give me testimony after testimony of how evil things are around you, even at your jobs. Light has never been needed more. And can I tell you this? The darker it gets, the farther your light shines. Dark, darkness doesn't enclose light. Light pushes darkness away. So let's do in this crazy time when, 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 when hostility is being shown against us, what do we do? We respond like the Bible says. We bless those that curse us. We pray for those that don't like us. We feed our enemies. We give them drink. We turn our cheeks when someone hurts us. And I'm telling you what, you're going to mess with them. You're going to bless them. You're going to ignite something in them that they're going to want to know what you carry because it's not normal for your response. It's not going to be normal because they're expecting you to punch them back, slap them back. I'll never forget that. Just smiling. All I did was smile. Why are you smiling so much? I love, I'm going to close with this. I love Kirsten says that. What do you say about your face? Fix your face. Sometimes it's be amazing just you fix your face, just start smiling. 
how much freedom that would bring to people. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. For more information on our church, check out our Facebook page or our website, www.lighthousecanton.com. Have a great week.